Father, we love you this morning, and we do just come, God, just to worship your holy name. God, we thank you that we can come and just be in your presence. And I pray this morning, God, as, God, as we just worship you, I pray that you were honored through that. And God, I pray that you would speak to us as we hear your word spoken to us this morning. God, continue just to have your way in our service. We love you, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, it doesn't seem possible, but Christmas is right upon us. Thanksgiving this week. Man, who'd have thunk it? We have some mission uh, uh, goals, mission giving goals that I want to show you this morning before we begin our message. Okay. Uh, in Christmas time, we have uh, our world mission offering, and I don't have this by memory, okay? So, uh, but prepare yourself for giving uh, to our Christmas world Christmas offering. I know that on the list is our work partners that we do business with, that do ministry with. Uh, we would like to give a gift so that we can help the folks in Cambodia, so that we can help the folks in Peru. There's a, an item on the list. Uh, to kind of help subsidize a little bit of our Portugal ministry. Also, Young Life here in town, in our in Lidl School District, they are seeking to reach teenagers in our community. Also, um, there's a new church start in Vancouver, Canada. And it's very, it's very new. It's on the ground surface, ground level, getting going. They have about 75 to 100 coming in attendance. And they're in need of a copier and a couple other items that will help them do ministry. I know that we have, we've got about 4,500 or so marked to help them. And so we would like to, I think the total giving, the goal for our giving in, in the Christmas season is 33,000. I believe that's the number. So just prepare yourself for our world uh, Christmas offering. There's a couple other items on there too that I can't think about what they are. Our International Mission Board giving through Lottie Moon is on that as well. And uh, we would certainly like to do more than our goal of 33000 But uh, every December we have our world Christmas offering and just, uh, you know, to make Christ known in our world and the different places where we are helping. Peru is on that list as well, as I just remembered. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We, we didn't do this last week in our series because of the shooting and want to talk about God works for the good of those who love him. And uh, keep on praying for that community and for all the people that are, I'm sure, just going through some real difficult times. I think about the people that showed up on the scene, the first responders, the ambulance drivers, medics, emergency people, the policemen. It's just got to, it'll never leave them. It'll always be on their mind. And of course, the pastor and his wife and all the grieving that's taking place and the hurt that's happened. So we're talking about three different kinds of relationships and how to have the Holy Spirit at work in those three different types of relationships. And Paul talks to us about the relationship between the husband and the wife. And we talked about that. And then he talked about the relationship between parents and children, and we talked about that. And now we're going to talk about, from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 down through 9, the relationship between masters and slaves. Okay? Now, 
In Ephesus, during the Roman occupation, it is believed that there were between a third of the population and a half of the population were slaves. Slaves were part of every class of society. Now, the, the master-slave situation that was taking place in the Roman world is not quite like the slave uh, uh, situation that we've known in our country with uh, the Africans being brought over without, you know, uh, against their will to be slaves. And, and there's a great difference between how the Romans treated slaves and how uh, we typically treated slaves here. And the relationship between the slaves in Ephesus is a lot closer to our uh, situation between employers and employees than it was during the slave days here in America in the cotton fields in the South and things like that. But there'd be slaves who'd been doctors, school teachers, uh, slaves that were professional people, engineers and and leaders in the communities would, would have become slaves to the uh, Romans as they were in power. Um, and of course, there were also slaves that build the roads and build the, the cities for the Romans, and so there's slaves in every class of society. Now, in the Bible, with Paul here, in, in here in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, Paul is not condoning slavery. A lot of people get really sidetracked, I think, with the meaning of these verses, and they get hung up on, does the, why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? Well, we do understand the Bible does condemn harsh treatment of other people, and the Bible does condemn that there would be masters who lord over slaves, and the slaves have a horrible life. Obviously, the Bible teaches against that, but, but Paul is not condemning slavery here. Uh, he's not condemning it, and he's not for it either. He's not saying it is good to have slaves, and he's not saying you shouldn't have slaves. What he's doing here is laying out the framework. This is the way it is. This is the Christian life. Christians are going to be slaves, and some Christians are going to be masters. It's the way it is. And so what Paul is doing is laying out how we respond to slavery. If we are a slave, what he assigns us to do, what he assigns us, the way we live, the way we think, the way we behave to slavery. And so that's what this scripture is all about. He addresses what is rather than how things should or shouldn't be. Now, over and over and over in the New Testament, that is exactly what God lays out there for us. We are going to be persecuted. We are going to have difficult days. We are going to experience injustice. We, as believers in Christ, are going to be mistreated since that is true, and that's the way it is, this is how we respond. This is how we think. This is how we relate to the mistreatment that we're going to experience. So, 
let's begin our study here in Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. But, but to go back to that foundation and lay that foundation stronger for all of us, let's begin in verse 15. And verse 15 through 20 apply to the teaching of the relationship between the husband and wife, the teaching between the relationship between the parents and the children, and the teaching between the slaves and the masters or the employees and the employers. He says in verse 15, be careful how you live. Every single day, it would be a good idea to read this scripture, to keep in mind, today I need to be careful how I live. I don't need to be careless with how I live. I don't need to just take, be responsive. You know, I just don't need to be reactionary to what's laid before me. I need to be careful today with how I live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Now, we need to guard ourselves from that. If you're prone to foolish decisions, if you're prone to, to, to being unwise in your responses, then begin the day with, I want to live today with actions that are wise versus actions that are foolish. I'm going to make the most, in verse 16, of every opportunity that comes my way today. I'm going to make the most of my opportunities, my time. Now, for us, that would mean I'm not going to waste my time today. I'm not going to get stuck in solitary all day long. I'm not going to play the game on, on the, the Xbox 39 all day long. Uh, I'm going to make the most of my time. I'm going to make, perhaps I'm going to make myself a to-do list. And, and for some of us, that works out better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to accomplish this goal, this goal, this goal. And as I go through and accomplish those things, I'm going to check them off. And I'm going to do the nine items that I've got written down. I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. That also means the planned and the unplanned. Today, when, when so-and-so comes in my office today, I'm going to encourage them because I know that they need some encouragement. When I run across that salesman, when that vendor comes my way, when, when I have the meeting with the people planning the next project, I, I'm, I'm going to have a good spirit about me in that meeting. I'm going to be, up, I'm going to be upbeat. I'm going to be focused. I, I'm going to be clued in on the meeting. I'm not going to waste my time or their time in that meeting. I'm going to be plugged in. And so we, before the day begins, get ourselves with the right mindset for that day. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, we understand 90% of all the Lord wants us to do. We've got it down here. We don't really have to wonder whether or not we forgive. We don't have to wonder whether or not we love. We, we don't have to wonder whether or not we pray, right? We're going to love. We're going to forgive. We're going to give away grace. We're going to be encouraging. We don't have to pray about that. We don't have to pray whether or not we're going to encourage people today. It's already laid out for us. It says that we are to encourage one another. We are to greet one another. We are to be open to each other. We are to lift people up. We are to carry burdens. So if you take all the scripture lays out for us to do and be, 90% of all our decisions are made for us. We've got that 10% is when it becomes difficult. What job are we going to take? Scripture doesn't ever tell us this is the job for you, 
right? It's not laid out for us. But, we, but by doing those 90%, we're down the road to the 10%, and usually it becomes clear to us, and, and that door opens up for us. And so know what the Lord wants you to do. That's what the Scripture says here for us. Understand. The word understand simply means be aware of. Have a working knowledge of it. Have, have a good, solid uh, awareness of what the Lord wants you to do. Now, in my particular case, the 10% is where I do what I do. Here at the crossing in Alito is where the Lord has assigned me for this time to do what I do. But regardless of the occupation that I would have to feed my family, I would still do what he's called me to do. It may take on a different form. It ta may take on a different strategy. The method may be different, but I would still make disciples. I would still grow people to the best of my ability. I would still be used by the Lord, I believe, to help men grow in faith because that's what God has always called me to do. Now, I may or may not preach the sermon on a Sunday, but I would still be involved in helping people to line up with what the Lord wants them to do. If you were to summarize my job description and what I'm called to do, it would be the same job description for every vocational job I would have. I'm here to help people, to motivate people, to somehow or another inspire people to love God. To love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's what I do. That's why I teach the Scripture, because I believe teaching the Scripture, the Holy Spirit uses that to help people love God. I would remind them. I'm a reminder. If nothing else happens on a Sunday, when we come together, we are all reminders that we live for God. And in case we perhaps have forgotten along the way in the week to what we live for and who we're about, we come together on a Sunday and we take God's Word and we open God's Word and all that we do and all that we say is a reminder that we are to love God with all of our heart. That's the great commandment. And then we love our neighbor as ourself. That's what we do. That's who we are. And so that assignment is clear. Know what the Lord wants you to do. So for me in my life, typically it's all laid out. Now the curves are this, the curves are that, the detours come, the roundabouts come. There, there are, there are uh, unexpected things that happen, right, along the way. However, in all those unexpected things, in all those detours, how we respond to them and what we do, we know what to do. The people change perhaps, the situation changes perhaps, but we still know what to do. We are to give hope to people. When people come into your office at work or you're at the, the water faucet or you're in the break room, you are to be the hope giver at your place of employment. You give hope. It doesn't matter if you're the only one who ever encourages, you keep on encouraging. 
you keep on going forward with that. So, understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is to be joy in your life, and it manifests itself in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of every kind among yourself. You're making music to the Lord in your hearts. So as you're being led by the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, there is a song in your heart. We say it like this. You know, he's got a spark in his step. He's got some energy about him. And that energy, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And we give thanks. People who are led by the Holy Spirit, who are guided by the Holy Spirit, who are full of the Holy Spirit, man, they're thankful people. We are to give thanks in all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's the foundation for how we act, behave at work. All right. At work, witness over raise and respect. Your witness at work is more important than whether or not you got a fair raise or not. Eternal always over the now. The eternal over mistreatment. The eternal over injustice. The eternal over being treated unfairly. Our witness is more important than how we're treated at work. Always. Christians are not to hate their jobs. We're not to hate our jobs. We are to see our jobs as an opportunity to be a blessing to other people. Christians are not to be jerks at work. We're not to be jerks. And I go to the same establishment three or four times a week, and it's one of those kind of situations where you got to check in so they know you're there, and they've got that little ding thing, you know, where you get the little scanner thing. And there's two different ladies that work at that desk. And, and, and I must admit, when I see one lady that's always at that desk, and they interchange, and so I never know who's going to be there, uh, when I see that one lady, I go, ah, oh, she's there today. It's not going to be uncomfortable. It's, it, it's not going to be difficult here. And I walk up and I say, hello. She says, how are you? I said, I'm doing fine. She checks off the thing. She says, good to see you today. Says, Thank you very much. Da -da -da. Walk on by. The other lady never says a word to me. The other lady sometimes never looks up off her, off her deal. I, I, I've walked up to her and she's doing something on a computer and sometimes she just takes that little deep thing and she hands it out there and she, I just, she just pushes it and never says a word to me. Sometimes she looks at me stone cold in the face and I'm like, she's the soup Nazi and I'm just, oh, oh, geez. I mean, she really scares me. We're not to be jerks at work. We're to be a blessing at work. We need to keep in mind that as followers of Jesus, we do not work for the man. We don't work for the man. We work for the Lord. Let's see what the scripture here has to say. Verse 5. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Employees, obey your employer with deep respect and fear. Now, it's not the fear of the soup nasty that you don't get bread if you don't do the right thing. It's, it's a fear that is of healthy respect. We recognize their authority. We recognize their place. And so we're going to do a good job so that they are happy with us. That's our role. We follow through. We do what we're called to do. We do our assignments with, with enthusiasm, we're going to see, because we're obeying our employer and we're fearing our employer with deep respect. We are to serve them sincerely. Now, the word sincerely is an interesting word. It means without hypocrisy. And being insincere is not really being honest with our assignment, right? And the word means sincerest. And what it talks about is that back in the day, during the Bible days, uh, of course, clay pottery was used to hold water, to hold the wine, to hold the food, to hold their, all the things they had, the salt and, and all the spices that they would have in the home. And, and so it was, a, it was a trade, you know, clay pots was a trade item. They were, they were always buying them, they were always reselling them. And what they would do is they would mark it as sincerest. That means that if someone was selling a pot, they would say it's without wax. It doesn't have a crack in it. Because what they would do is, if a pot was cracked, they, they would take candle wax and they would burn the candle and they would fill up the crack with the wax and they would, would use something else to, to make it blend in with the rest of the, uh, the piece and it would look like it's a good, solid, uncracked piece of pottery. Well, you would buy that piece of pottery and you would go home and on the way home, the heat or the heat of the, the hot water you put in later or whatever it is, when it got warm, the wax would melt and the, the clay vessel wouldn't hold the liquid. And so the stamp or the mark without wax was used. And it was, means that this is a sincere pot. It doesn't have a crack in it. And we are to be an employee that is working, serving sincerely with all of our heart, not hypocritically. Now, that means that we're not cheating on our timesheet. We're not cheating on what we're doing, right? When we say we're going to do something, we do it. If they tell us to be there at 8, we're going to be there at 10 minutes to 8. They can count on us. They know that we're not a crack pot. They're going to know that we're an employee that they can count on. Try to please them all the time, verse 6 says. Not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. So we all know that when uh, the employer is not watching, people become lack. They're sloth. They goof off. That's not, that's not who we are to be. As followers of Jesus, we're to be people that work sincerely, whether we're being watched or not being watched. And of course here in verse 7 it says, 
Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. And so witness always is more important than how we're treated. So, this should never be said about Christian people at your workplace. The boss says, I'm not hiring any more Bible thumpers. They're not, they complain more than the others. We're not to have that kind of witness. I'm not hiring anyone else that professes to be a believer. Why not? Man, they, when, when, I'm, when, when I'm away, they goof off. That's not to be us. We are to have a different worth ethic than that. We are to be, we are to have the kind of witness at work that when the employer leaves, he comes back and says, man, I can always count on you to do the job when I'm gone. Thank you. Remember, Christians are to be a blessing. We're, we're not to be a handicap in, to the employer. We're not to be a problem to the employer because our witness matters. Our witness in the home matters. Our, our witness in our relationship matters. Our, our witness at work matters. Now, you might live in a place where you can't be an open witness for Christ. Okay? If they have a hard, fast rule that you cannot be verbal about Jesus, you can't hold a Bible study, you can't pray with people at work, okay, accept that and watch the Lord work. See how the Lord works around that. You be loving, you be gracious, you be kind, you be energetic, you be dependable, you reliable, and watch the Holy Spirit give you all kinds of opportunities without ever saying a word at work about Jesus. It'll happen. It'll happen. They'll walk up to you and say, I saw you get chewed out by the boss the other day. Yeah? Man, you know, you took that really well and, and you just work so hard and, and, and you don't, you're not trying to get back. I noticed that when other guys and gals get together and start just slandering the boss here and talking bad about the boss and saying how the boss is stupid and the boss can't do that, I notice how you never engage in that conversation. I notice that you never have a bad word about anybody at this workplace. Why is that? You know, I'm forbidden to talk to you about that now. But if you'll meet me at the coffee shop after work, I'll explain it all to you. You talk about throwing a big old 10-inch worm out there for that big bass to hook on to. You're honoring the wishes of your employer. You're obeying, you're respecting with fear. However, the Lord is at work. You see, he's saying to people, you're going to be in difficult places. You're going to be in hard times. You're going to be slaves. But if you'll live that Jesus life out there, we'll just work beyond all that. Christians are always overcomers. We're never outnumbered and we're never ever trapped unless we allow ourselves to be. We work for the Lord always. That's what Paul says here. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So as a believer in Christ, we're never ever really working for the boss. We're working for the Lord. And what He wants, 
trumps what the boss wants. Now, what the Lord wants from us is for us to obey and respect that boss that we have. To work really hard for that boss. To, to, to do all we can for that boss to be successful because that's the Jesus way. He's always said to us, go the extra mile. And so when that Roman soldier is walking down a road and that he's got his helmet, he's got his breastplate, you know, he, he's got his sword, all his, his uh, armor he's got there. And if you're out there in that field and you're working hard, if that Roman soldier says, hey, buddy, come over here and carry my stuff for me. And, and by law, you were to carry it one mile. By Roman law, you had to carry it a mile for that Roman soldier. But because you live for Jesus, you carried it too. And so at work, believers, followers of Christ, Christian people are to be the ones that go the extra mile. So the question for you today is, is that you at work? Is that how you handle work? Is that what you're known for at work? And then the employer, masters, verse 9. Treat your slaves in the same way. And so the Christian employer is called on to treat those that work for him, under him, or under her, right, with Christ-likeness. We're expected the same things. There's to be enthusiasm in our work. There's to be respect for those that work for us. We are to treat them fairly. We, 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 are, we are to treat them because we work for the Lord. We don't work for the bottom line. We don't work for the product to be put out. We work for the Lord. Now along the line, the bottom line matters. The product matters. Doing the job matters. However, as an employer, we see that we are to be a witness at work. Don't work for so-and-so. Why? Well, he says he's a Christian, but man, he's a jerk. Not a good sign. Not a good witness for us to have. If you're the employer, if you're the one that hires people, if you have a company and, and people work for you, it ought to be a deal where the word is out there. Man, if you ever get a chance to work for that guy, you need to go work for that guy. If you ever get a chance to work for her, go work for her. Why is that? Man, you're treated really good. And you know, they, they, they respect you and they honor your opinion and, and, and they understand. And, and what a great witness that is. And so the, the primary thing is workers and employers, employees and employers ought to have the reputation as believers that the eternal outweighs the temporal. Always the eternal matters more than the now. And representing the Lord matters far more than what happens at that workplace. That's who we're to be at work. All right. Work has great eternal potential. Always have the mission and desire of the Lord in mind as you work. Work will be rewarded, as the Lord says here in the last part of verse 7. It says in verse 9, excuse me, don't threaten them. Remember, you have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. And so we need to have that mindset as we're the employer. Each day go to work with the idea, what is the Lord going to show us today? What is the Lord going to do through this workplace today? 
What is the Lord going to reveal about himself today? That'll open all kinds of doors. You'll see things that you haven't seen before if you go with that kind of faith mindset. A man by the name of Ed Savoso wrote a book called Anointed for Business. In the book, he lists four types of believers at work. The first kind of believer was the believer who simply exists at work. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to do enough to get by to pay their bills. The second believer is the believer who applies Christian principles at work. There are people that understand the Ten Commandments. There are people that understand some of the principles of the Scriptures. And, and, and they just try to apply those principles. They don't, they don't steal. They don't lie. They don't uh, mislead people. They're pretty honorable in being people of principle at work. The third kind of people is believers who live by the power of the Holy Spirit at work. They look. They watch for opportunities. They're always looking for the Holy Spirit to show them a next step, an inroad into ministry at the workplace. The fourth kind of believer that he wrote about, he separates three and four a little bit, and, and, and four is a little deeper in following the Holy Spirit at work than, than uh, number three. Believers who are seeing the work of the Lord at work and see a transformation take place at work. Now, think about it. You're at work with the same people 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week. That's a lot of time with people. I mean, the, the, the sad truth is you may be spending far more time at work than you are with your kids. That's the reality of things now. And so it's really important that we're not a number one at work. It's really important that we're not just a number two at work. And it's, not, it's important that we're just not a number three at work, although that would be wonderful. It's really important that at work that we understand that we need to be a number four at work, seeing the transformation power of the Holy Spirit at work. And he tells a story of a Filipino businessman who was a believer, and he bought a huge motel or hotel. It had three buildings and 1,600 rooms. And it was in great despair. And, and basically, the hotel was used as a brothel. And as, as a Christian businessman, of course, he didn't like that part of the business investment. But he believed God wanted him to transform that business. And so he bought the business. He began to hire as many Christian workers as he could. Uh, it had some 2,000 employees that took care of those 1,600 rooms. And he didn't fire anybody right away. He just worked with those that he could and, and, and just began to transition those who wouldn't be the kind of worker he would like to represent Christ. He just went slowly and began to manage that. But along the way, he hired 40 pastors to work in that hotel. And he gave them three assignments. And this is what he wanted those pastors to do. Speak peace to wolves. Can you imagine that on your job description? Speak peace to wolves. Simply, I want you to be here and I want you to bless those who curse you. And he applied like this. When, when, when you see the John come in with the woman who's being mistreated or the young teenage girls being mistreated, I want you to speak peace to them. 
I, I want you to treat them with respect. I want you to treat them with honor. And, and I want you to engage with them. Second, he said, eat and drink with the sinners. Build relationships. And, and, and these things he says, these are, this is your job description for two years. And the third one is, I want you to take every opportunity you have to pray for the needs of the people that you meet here at this hotel and engage with people with love. But for two years, do not share the gospel with them. Just get to know people. Just love on people. Just pray for these people and build relationship with the prostitutes, the Johns, and all the customers that come in. And that's what these 40 pastors did for two years. And after the two years was over, after all that foundation was laid down, in the book they said that they believed 2,000 people came to Christ that next year. And as time went on, that hotel transitioned physically as they improved and remodeled everything, but it changed from uh, illegitimate business, a brothel, to a legitimate hotel. And, and prostitutes came to know Christ, customers came to know Christ, the Johns came to know Christ, and it was a beautiful movement, a beautiful transformation in that hotel. And so this businessman took the instrument that God gave to him that helped him make money. And he just followed the work of the Holy Spirit. And he experienced a transformation. That could happen at your work. Let's pray. God, lead us, Lord. May we be faithful believers at work. May we be responsible, may we be reliable, dependable. May our witness be strong at work. Lord, we recognize that we don't have to be flashy. We don't have to be a know-it-all. We don't have to be the best at our work. We just have to be faithful to you. And Lord, you'll use it. Help us to make the most of every opportunity we have. Help us to learn to live wisely. Help us, Lord, to, to see our work as a great opportunity for your spirit to work and for lives to be strengthened and blessed in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.